Futurist, realist, retirement guru, and enthusiastic. These are just a few of the many amazing adjectives that describe the person and conversation we had with Roger Whitney. Roger has over two decades of experience working with families and helping them realize that they can enjoy today while also positioning themselves for tomorrow. He is an advocate that a proper retirement strategy is grounded in what's important in your life now and in the future. And Roger also takes that advice in his practice. He is a leader when it comes to spreading his knowledge, not only with his well-read content, but his highly listened to podcast, The Retirement Answer Man. And today we get to talk all about our industry and the future of our industry with the man himself, Roger Whitney. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Roger, thanks for joining us. How is everything going out in Fort Worth, Texas today? It's awesome, but I didn't realize we'd be doing some video and I didn't shave this morning, but luckily you can't tell. That's all right. <laughs> We're not zoomed in too much, so we won't be able to tell too much. Um, so tell me this. We were chatting a little bit earlier and you mentioned that uh, one of your first jobs was an interesting one that uh, I think as a kid, a lot of people would be jealous of. Tell us a little bit about that that first job that you, or one of those first jobs you had with Chuck E. Cheese. Actually, it was a horrible job that nobody would be jealous of. Uh, I, for about six months, I used to dress up as the rat and walk around and greet kids. And you don't realize how ki- mean kids can be to a person in a costume. <laughs> can you give us, can you give us a, a, an example or a story that, that just kind of has re- stayed with you since those days in the past of someone being not nice to the rat? Um, well, I'll tell you one where the rat unintentionally wasn't nice to a kid. How's that? <laughs> I like that. So I was in the game room walking around doing my deal and kids would hit on you. Right. And some of these kids were, you know, old enough to know what's going on. And so usually when a kid would hit on me, I would just grab their arm gently and just sort of pull it back. Well, evidently, uh, I did that. And I'm walking around doing my dancing deal, and all I hear is Chuck E. Cheese to the office now. <laughs> and evidently, some kid was beating on me, and I pulled his arm back, and he had just come home from the hospital, come back from the hospital after getting a cast taken off. <laughs> and I touched that arm. Evidently, it was healed enough for him to beat on me with it, but uh, the parent wasn't too happy. So that's my. <laughs> I'll share. I uh, I love that. I love that. And um, uh, you know, I I think that uh, the the mascots. Everybody assumes that they're not getting hurt inside of there because of their costumes being so big and fluffy. But I guess that's not the case. And so it's a lesson for all parents. Don't let your kids hit on the mascot because it's it's a real person in there that doesn't like to be hit. And it's a horrible job anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've transitioned into something where you're impacting lives in a, in a much more meaningful way, I would assume. Um, but the, the, the road to get here, I guess, as you mentioned in some of our dialogue back and forth, uh, happened maybe with a little bit of a stumbling block with uh, failing maybe a couple finance classes. And now people are looking to you for the knowledge. So how do you overcome that from your side? Well, I did fail a investment class in college, and it really had more to do with my occupation of being a bartender than it had to do with the difficulty of the coursework. 
I worked all through college, 20 to 25 hours a week. And, you know, you have different priorities at different periods of time. Yeah, yeah I agree. I can, I can concur with that. And I think that uh, I think that's college in a nutshell. You pass it if you put the focus to it. But if you have multiple things that you're focusing on, then it becomes that's when it becomes difficult. The content, maybe not so much all the time. If I was aware enough, I would have uh, learned that before reading the one thing, right? By Mr. Keller. There yeah, you go. Focus is important. There you go. Well, let's get into what you're doing, and you're doing it so well. I, I love your content that you put out, your podcast, uh, the Retirement Man podcast. And, um, and so I want to talk about the industry. You've been in the industry for a while. Uh, I mean, it's been almost nearly a little bit over two decades. Um, and I'd love to just start with kind of how you've seen this business evolve over those two and a half decades that you've been involved in the industry. So yeah, it's been almost 27 years. And so from an industry standpoint, I think we're on the slow grind to becoming a true professional industry. Elaborate. Some people might cringe at that. What do you mean I'm professional? I get that. But this industry has its roots and training, incentives, career path, all circled around sales. And we've come a long way to becoming true practitioners of a craft rather than being salespeople, for sure. But we're still evolving to an industry that is focused more on advice than than product knowledge and sales presentation. You know, I went to, you know, I, at one point in my career, I went through, uh, you know, training at one of the major firms, three weeks in Weehawken and then mentoring and everything else. But it was all focused around product knowledge and sales presentation. And this investment vehicle mindset where investing, investments, have been the hub of everything that we do as a profession. And I think those are really, really important, especially in accumulation, but there are so many other levers in someone's life that they can pull to create a great life that have nothing to do with investing. Financial planning does a good job of this, I think, but in, even financial planning came more from the insurance industry, so it still ends up being investment product centric. And I think we're evolving from that. Mm -hmm. I know I am. I have. And I think practitioners that are going to have the biggest impact on individuals and also thrive from a business perspective are going to end up melding a lot of things that are outside of what our traditional training has given us. And I guess for because I, I think that there's I want to go down this path for a little bit because I think that a lot of the people that are listening, I think they're on both sides. I think that's the industry as a whole. So if we peer behind the curtain of how you are a practitioner, right? How do you, I mean, so some advisors go in and the conversation is about presentation. Here's your portfolio. Here's your cash flow analysis. Let's go over how your portfolio did, the changes that we need to make, et cetera. Um, you know, has anything changed in your life that we need to change this? How does it look for you and your clients from your side? So I, I specialize in retirement. So I, I deal with only, only people over 50 that are either getting ready to a major life change or transitioning or living in retirement. And investing in investment assets are extremely important, but the majority of our conversations are around balance sheet management and cash flow management and 
vision management than it is about investment management. Uh, investing is extremely important, but when, especially as you get towards retirement or the decumulation stage, if you think of the levers we have in our life to make a big difference, investing is always a lever, but there are much bigger levers that people have, especially in retirement than portfolio management or investment management. You have, it's really about asset liability matching, mm-hmm. counting mm-hmm. the cost of the liabilities of consumption and figuring out how you're going to fund that and to decrease the possibility of having a bad outcome. What fund I choose or what asset allocation strategy I have is not going to be one of the biggest levers. So the conversations I tend to have, and I think it's what resonate with people on the show, it's much more the human side of it, of, okay, what's your purpose going to be in life? How do you maintain your social network? How do you invest in your health? It ends up being this mix of prudent financial decision-making and behavioral and life coaching. Right. We we talk about how it's all about the goals and the, you know, the beautiful pictures on the brochures, but we don't know how to talk that. Most of us don't know how to talk that part of it. Right. And I think that where you're going and I, and I agree because it's there, there's this idea of the kind of the hierarchy of kind of, I forget what they call it, but basically investment management is at the bottom of the hierarchy and fulfillment, life fulfillment is at the top of the hierarchy. The most rewarding or aspect of what people appreciate and what they're looking for uh, in a relationship is fulfillment in life. And uh, there's, there's a, there's a segment of the advisory population that will say, well, you have to talk about the investments because the investments are what's going to allow for the fulfillment, which is one way. And I think that's been the, the age old way of thinking, right? We're going to talk about the investments so you can have fulfillment where, where you're doing, you're flipping that whole thing over on the, on the head and saying, we're going to talk about fulfillment and then we'll figure out how to get there, but we need to figure out how to get fulfillment out of your life. And then we'll figure out with what we have, how do we make the most of that to get to that point? Yeah. Well, a good, a good, good example from a, in, you know, of how switching that mindset drives the counsel that you give. Let's talk about someone's retiring and they have money in a 401k, right? So an investment professional, best practice is how do we justify rolling that 401k to an IRA, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the business model and we manage assets. So I get that. but. A lot of times or a decent number of times, it makes sense to keep it in the 401k rather than roll it out. And good financial counsel should be able to evaluate that independently of what money's coming to them from a compensation standpoint. You know, we tend to have this mindset of, of course, you roll it over to an IRA or you take the lump sum in the pension rather than helping the cli- holding the hand with the client and helping them work through figuring out what makes the most sense to them. Right, right. And, we, uh, you know, I think from an industry standpoint, most of us aren't comfortable saying, oh, yeah, you should leave that there because of these five reasons and, and being confident in that decision making understanding that you still are winning from a business standpoint. I think that's where we're, there are a lot of people that do that really well. So I'm not saying it's everybody. I'm just saying from an industry standpoint. Right. And I think that it's a, it's a value thing, right? We always want to be able to show, we want to try to prove our value. And I think it's a, 
uh, I think that it's also something that's happened over the past 15 years or so of, of our confidence in our value. We are valuable as an advisor, right? You just have to have confidence in that value, uh, even if it means saying something that isn't right for the pocket at that point in time or the, the, the P&L of your firm at that point in time. And you know, a lot of it is. A lot of it is that we, you know, for almost everybody, and we're figuring this part out, is we all grew up with a scarcity mindset. Yeah. Getting into this industry is hard because you basically have to prove to keep your seat, which means you have to sell and, and be an expert at everything just to bring in assets or you know bring in client relationships in order to justify your existence. So a lot of us that survive that gauntlet of the Hunger Games have to, you know, we sort of have this built in. Yeah. You know, we, we feel scared. We feel scarcity and we always have to keep selling or keep bring, keep growing because of how we were brought up. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have an abundance mindset, it's amazing, at least in my experience for me anyway, is the more abundantly I think and the more open handed I am at this point in my career, the faster I grow and I think it attracts more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a, something that the industry is going to continue to evolve with. And I think that we've, we've gotten to that point to where we're now identifying it. And now it's a matter of just getting over the hump of actually executing on that um, from that standpoint. I want to switch gears a little bit from the industry to how you're communicating your message. I think that you know, you're one of the few advisors out there that has a podcast that's followed and listened to, and that's on a consistent basis, right? And I, I think that um, that is a leader in this space, and I think it's going to be something that others are going to continue to follow. And so I'd love to just learn what led to you starting a podcast. Why did you do it? Um, and then we can talk about kind of why, how it's worked and what hasn't worked from it. Well, it was basically a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> it was either this or a sports car, right? Um, so I, I, when I had started the podcast a little over five years ago, um, our business, we have a registered investment advisory firm, was at a point where I was, you know, we had hit the curve in, uh, you know, our, our revenue and profitability was growing faster than overhead. And I was at the time the chief advisor, the chief compliance officer and had administrative parts of the building. And I was bored. And I was like, I knew I didn't want to be chief compliance officer or have the administrative part. And I, and I, I had this decision to make. And it was brought to me through some conversation with a friend. Okay, here I am in my mid-40s. I could have a really cool life. Make a lot of money, have fun, serve some people, and have a lot of time to go ride my bike and do things. And that, you know, that's attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was... Okay, if I wake up at 65 and I look back and say, oh, yeah, I had a lot of fun, got to go to a lot of places, helped a few people, what could I have done? Right? That was the question that drove a lot of things. What could I have done? And two, obviously, for, well, not obviously, but for me, I didn't really glorify God that much. Okay, I got mine. Cool, I'm out. Um, so I started the podcast because I think out loud and I started to really focus in on only working with people over 50, which why would you start a podcast if you're talking to people of 50? That's the smallest segment. <laughs> but for me, I think out loud and I listen to podcasts. I'm like, well, I'm thinking about these issues. Why don't I talk about these issues? Cause talking about them clarifies my thinking. I love to teach. So I just started the podcast really with the idea that even if it 
didn't have any listenership, it would be a good experiment and a win for me because it would force me to be more organized and refine what I'm doing. So that was the start of it. And how has it evolved? I mean, how, how, I mean, has it in your mind, has it been successful on that? How's it helped with the business? And then I'm going to pry a little bit more because I think that there's a lot of people out there listening. I mean, what, what didn't work from that for, as you went through this path, this kind of journey over the past five years? What do you want to know first? Let's, let's start with the good and then we'll go to kind of the challenges. <laughs> That's always a better place to go. So yeah, from the good, I mean, so I've done 270 something episodes and we've never missed a week in five years. And what, I mean, the good is, well, I do it my entire life. I mean, I'm no longer in the partnership. I'm no longer chief compliance officer. I have a dedicated team and all we do is walk life with clients that are our sweet spot that come from the show. Uh, so it's totally transformed my entire life to the better. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in my sweet spot and hopefully just hitting the sweet spot. Um, and it, it's allowed me to refine my process and create and trademark agile retirement management, taking the agile project management methodology from software and applying it to financial planning to make it more interactive and collaborative rather than, you know, this big book of financial plan and more consumable for people to do so they don't get tired head. Uh, so that's all the good. It's been amazing. And so you, you separated from your old firm and now you started, did you start from scratch when you started this podcast of building up your book of business or did you already have some book of business beforehand? I already had some book of business beforehand. Okay. I extracted myself from partnership because they were older. They didn't want to invest in this whole journey that I was on. Right. And I wanted to clear the decks and have, like we talked about before, Chucky focus on what I'm supposed to be doing. That, I mean, that's a huge decision. And I mean, that, that's uh, right. You made that clear decision for a personal for fulfillment reasons, which is what drives many individual people. Yeah, I don't think there was a grand plan. I have no clue what I'm doing. Let's be clear about that. I am. I think very, we all can say that. You're fooling yourself am, if you think you do. I am very intentional, but it wasn't like, okay, this is my five-year plan for this. It was more exploring what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life and leaning into what felt like what the answer was. All right. So tell us, what did you, what were some of the challenges with, get, with getting the podcast up and running, getting a following and actually starting to drive business out of it? I mean, five years, it's not like you just set a microphone in front of you. You had a switchboard over here. You put the headphones on, you start talking and boom, it's, it's like you plug in a phone and you have business coming in. So what were some of the challenges that you had starting this podcast? Well, the challenges were all the technical stuff and just redefining what's possible, obviously of the compliance end of it. So the technical stuff, you had a lot of education to do on how to do it well and how to start that journey. And I leaned on people. So what I, one thing I did start doing was going to conferences outside of our industry because our industry doesn't understand a lot of what really works, especially from a marketing standpoint. Uh, going to you know social media marketing world, podcast movement, uh, FinCon, areas where you sort of, you, if you're a financial professional like me who's institutionalized, sort of have to break that institutionalized mindset. That helped a lot. But the technical stuff was hard. In terms of client acquisition, um, 
it was hard because you don't know how to do it. Right. Will, will you know, really would someone want to work with you that would move assets and they've never actually physically met you? That seems weird for a financial advisor standpoint. Um, the good thing for me was I, I, I approached it from the mindset that I wasn't hungry in the sense that I didn't need the biz- new business to eat. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as an opportunity to build an orchard. That's always the metaphor I use. Meaning, what happens when you build an orchard? You don't put so much pressure. Where's my apple? No, you just plant the trees. You, you sweat your butt off for years until the trees mature. And I think from a podcasting standpoint, in my humble opinion, is if you're looking at at this as a client acquisition strategy, you you sort of miss the point already in that it's about how do you serve and earn the right to have people resonate with you. And over time, if you give them an avenue, they will naturally reach out to you. This is not a seminar where you keep telling people to call you for an appointment. I guess that works. It works for a lot of Saturday morning radio. This is a place where you put your flag in the ground and you state who you are, how you think, and how you approach things. And you focus on who your ideal person is. And they'll eventually find you. And if you give them avenues, a certain percentage will reach out and ask to work with you. I think that I think that what you've done with the podcast and what is being done with video now is that, like you said, is that it's not just one show or one statement that's going to be like this boom to all of your you know um, new referrals or new prospects coming in. They get to know you as a person, right? And I think that that is a challenge in a service industry. If you're talking to your clients twice or three times a year, you're really only talking to them three hours out of, you know, the 2,100 hours or roughly so that you're going to be working for that year. And they're living 8,000 hours for the year. So you're really not talking to them that much. With a podcast, you have the ability of being with them where they can, you're probably talking about your family. You're talking about some of the challenges. You give a little bit of insight every show about yourself and how you think through these issues with stories, which allows people to resonate with you, which creates this ability for you to uh, not necessarily have to talk to your clients all the time for them to hear you and feel comfortable and, and build that relationship. It's a different type of relationship that you're able to build with the mediums that are available today. And especially with podcasting, it's very intimate. Mm-hmm. I mean, the clients that come through a podcast, once they become a client, they're, they're, you're talking with them every week. Yeah, and you're resonate, you know, and and you're resonating through their ear, whether they're driving or whether they're running or something else. So, what typically happens is someone that resonates with you via a podcast, they'll go back and listen. I mean, I get emails where, yeah, I found a show a week ago. I started at episode one. I'm about halfway through. I'm like, that's five years worth of content. <laughs> that's how it works. Because when, but I think here's a really important point with this whether it's podcasting or video is one spend some time having something actually interesting to say and spend some time formatting or, or finding your unique point of view about whatever your specialty is. Uh, and lean into that, into your uniqueness rather than trying to be generic. Mm hmm. The world doesn't need another how does a Roth conversion work. 
you know, conversion strategy. We don't need another article. We don't need another podcast on that. But what we, what some people need is a podcast or video on how Roth conversion strategy works with your point of view and the stories and the perspective that you bring to it. Mm-hmm. It's not about knowledge. I always say knowledge is a commodity. You can Google knowledge. You can't Google wisdom and you can't Google your particular point of view and stories that can communicate something. That will be unique to you. Right. And there's someone that's really going to resonate with that that thinks I'm an idiot. And that's what you want to lean into. And oftentimes we try to be generic person not wanting to drive people away. And I'd rather drive people away knowing that my, you know, be very clear of who I am and what I stand for. And the people that don't want me can leave and they'll be happier and I'll be happier. And then we'll have a really cool homogeneous group, which has ended up, ended up happening at least so far. Yeah. I mean, you can't please everybody. And the people that try to please everybody is you're going to make, you're going to, it's just not going to work. You're not going to please anybody if you try to please everybody. And, and And it's logical, but it's so hard to do when you're producing content. Right. Because, because you don't want there's this like misinterpretation of, or this like misconception. Well, you, I mean, just as a human, you don't want to sound stupid. You don't want to have people upset with you and art. You don't, a lot of people aren't confrontational, right? So they're not like, I want to go and make this person start having some confrontation with me. Uh, but you somewhat have to do that because that means that you have a strong opinion one way or the other. And some people are going to like it. Some aren't. Yeah. And, and a lot of it depends on the spirit, right? You got the uh, confrontational people that sort of keep poking to do it on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dave Ramsey comes to, you know, to mind of, you know, he makes a point of view, but not necessarily in a kind way all the time. And he does that on purpose, I think. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, for me, I think I do it naturally. I'm not mean about it and I'm respectful to other people's opinions. A good example, maybe it's a good example I know. It's very clear to people who listen to my show that I'm Christian. But I don't talk about it. I don't preach anything. And and so it's not like, wow, if I'm, you know, it's not like you're with me or against me. It's just who I am and it just emits, but it's not the main thing. Right. Uh, but people still know who you are and your perspective on things. And I think that the other big point that you make is that there has to be some preparation, right? You you, you can't just put a microphone in and just start talking and think that you're gonna your ideas are great. Like there has to be some thought, not to not to put thought into what is my personality going to be, but to organize your your thoughts in the presentation and make sure that it is a value content because people just like to start talking in front of a microphone and it's horrendous. It's really, really bad uh, because they haven't done any preparation on what is the outcome that is trying to come from this. What is the takeaway I want my listener to have from this? That's a really good point, right? Because they're always asking the question, one, do I like this person? Two, why do I care? Right? So you want to give them some positive outcome from listening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be pure slapstick entertainment, but just talking about markets in general, they people want an easy button. They want somebody to give them the perspective to help make more sense of things. Yeah, yeah. So being organized is usually a good idea. So I want to. I, I got about two more questions, and I want to get into buy or sell. My uh, my cheesy rendition of the <laughs> podcast, or my cheesy segment of the podcast. 
technology in your firm. How how do you use technology within your firm, and how do you think uh, the evolution of technology within our space has impacted the way that people run firms? I mean, 27 years ago, when you started out in this space, I'm sure you didn't imagine having the options of technology that you have today. And so I'm interested, how do you use it, one? And then two, how has it changed the way that you impact people's lives like you do? Well, I think uh, technology, I love technology, by the way. I'm a sucker for technology. <laughs> uh, well, I think of two things right off the bat is one, obviously the podcast technology for me to reach the world and and create people and really good friends all over the world is amazing. I mean, think of my demographic. You know, if I'm talking to people over 50, my market is not, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I have clients in 26 different states. That's amazing technology-wise. How do you do that in 1990? Uh, Zoom meetings, I use Zoom as my platform to have almost all of my meetings are virtual. They're on a video call where we're sharing screens. That allows some FaceTime and efficient and sharing screens and cash flow reports and whatever and creates that at least visual connection without actually having to be there. I mean, that's a revolution. I couldn't do the kind of business I do otherwise. Um, I mean, you could go on and on. I think the struggle with technology is that is just connecting it all together. It's the management of all the different tools. We just went through a process of creating a tech deck of what do we use for different things. And it always seems like it's more stuff than you should have to use for certain things. Right. Uh, which is difficult. But ultimately, there's not one thing that does everything well enough. So you end up having to have. But you can get an ungodly list uh, very easily because there's so many cool little tech tools out there. Right. Yeah, it's a matter of you have to have. We always talk about this on this show. And then you know, when we have outside conversations, you have to have a reason for the technology. Right. You, you, I mean, what is the technology solving for you? What process? What are your processes? First, let's identify what our processes are, as opposed <laughs> to having them in our head. What are the actual processes? Let's and like, that's not an easy thing. Not at all. I mean, we're going through that right now. And that's not an easy thing. I mean, a lot of us are not in. I mean, what we are good at is we're good at building relationships, connecting with individuals, helping them see like, but I mean, we're not process oriented. We're not going to sit down and create a, you know, a processes and procedures manual of like all of our processes. That's not necessarily all of our forte. So you have to know that. And then you have to know how are you going to execute on those processes with your current technology? And then any new technology that you bring, where are you going to fit that in? And what are you going to remove? And how is it going to be uh, what is the return on that, right? It's not necessarily a monetary return. What's the time return, right? What does that get me back in time or allow me to impact in people's lives, right? You have to go through that flow or just adding technology is not going to do any, 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 uh, any value to you. Yeah, where I find the rabbit holes are is that if there's a lot of technologies that have, that have one cool little feature and we ended up, we end up grabbing it and adding it because of that one little feature but it adds a level a level of complication that can magnify as you add all these little things with these little features. There's a good book I just got done uh, reading called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. He wrote Deep Work mm -hmm. uh, and talks about exactly what you were just saying about having 
you know, having a thought out reason for everything you use to make sure that it's adding enough value and you don't overcomplicate your life. And I think that also hurts advisors, right? Because we were just having that conversation, like, I don't want to be building out my processes. And so like, so then what happens is advisors just don't adopt any new technology, which in theory is 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 deeper down. But the, the root of that is that they don't have any processes because they don't want to put the time into the processes to think it through. And, and so it just keeps them away from it because it's like, I don't want to have to think through it. But the value that that provides it can be in- impactful to a firm that wants to scale and impact more people. Yeah, we're going through that right now of getting all of the processes. It's an art of getting this stuff out of your head. And I thought I was ahead of the human capital curve in terms of staff and having people in the right place. And I realized really quickly, oh, oh crap, I'm really behind. <laughs> and so twice this year, we just did it again. We closed off accepting new clients. We're like, no new clients until July because... You know, if you watch the profit, you know, we got great people, we got a great product, but our process is horrible. <laughs> yeah. And you can't just keep adding to a bad process or it's just going to start exposing itself eventually at that point. Yeah. You want to create great outcomes for the people you serve ultimately. So let's do this before we get into buy, sell, I want to bring out the crystal ball talking about all this stuff, podcasting, you know, the focus of fulfillment, uh, technology 10 years from now, what's this industry look like 10 years from today? We're not paid on assets. They're, you're either in a call center or you have, you're an artist that has some unique value with your niche. Very well. I'm going to pry for a second. Unique value in your niche because I'm telling you right now, people listening to this podcast, I know are saying to themselves, I have a better investment strategy than anybody else. What do you mean when you say you better have a unique value in your niche? What do you mean by that? Well, a niche can be someone that serves people that want all the, you know, want something that feels unique and potentially can be. So that could be a niche. Um, just like working with dentists or for me, it's working with, you know, people in a certain season of life. I think whatever you think your artistry is in life, it is time that you really lean into your artistry and become an artist. And it could be unique investment strategies that will serve a subset of people. It's going to be about micro businesses for individuals more than it is, or you better go big. Yeah. Uh, You don't want to be in the middle. And I think this is as an industry that there isn't enough dancing for your dinner and justifying your existence for the fees that we charge. And the way to justify your fees is to make yourself indispensable. And that's by being an artist and really leaning into that. Um, Now's the time to do it. Love it. Love it. Either go in deep, don't try to be a generalist and have everybody accept you, I think is a great point. Um, all right, so we're gonna go into buy sell. Buy sell, like I said, is my cheesy segment that I wanted to put in to show my personality being cheesy. Uh, buy sell. We're just gonna go through four four statements. I'm gonna say them out. You buy it if you agree, sell it if you disagree, and you can say why or why not, why you're leaning one way or the other. All right, you okay? Sell. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> you don't like the idea already. I love it. That's perfect. Uh, all right. Buy, sell. There will be more RIAs, registered investment advisors, in 10 years than there are today. Buy. Why? Because that's where the artists are going to be. Okay. 
buy or sell clients like to be connected with their financial advisor on social media sell why i don't think social media does much of anything you want connections directly all right you don't think that your your clients want to see what you're doing on social media with your family necessarily not necessarily have the only relationship but have part of it i just most clients are going to be on facebook so here's how i sold that most clients will be on facebook I just, uh, about a month ago, permanently deleted my Facebook and my business Facebook. So I agree with that. I haven't been on Facebook either, That's why. but I'm still just, I'm being devil's advocate on this one. Uh, my podcast I, is their social media. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, buy or sell, advisors that are slow to adopt new technology will be left having to climb a steeper mountain against their current on-par competition in five years. Buy, 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 buy. Booyah! <laughs> right? Do I need a button? There you Booyah. go. There you go. Buy or sell. I, I don't even need to go into that one. I know why. Um, <laughs> buy or sell. Greater than 50% of an advisor's meetings with clients will happen via video conferencing within just the next five years. Sell. Still in person. Even though Still you do all of yours via Zoom, you're saying that the industry... I am not normal. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's another podcast. Oh, no, we'll I'm not. I own it. I own it. <laughs> Uh, so you still think it, when do you do you think that that trend will turn? Uh, I mean, of course, uh, I mean over forever it, it likely will. But when do you think that will turn to where it becomes more accepting to do video conferencing more and more? I think it will always. I think it already is part of a lot of RIAs, but I think it ends up being a mix. I still try to you know I'm going on a big road trip through Columbus, Ohio, and that whole Midwestern just to meet people for the first time. Mm-hmm. I just think oh, it, when it comes to advisors that are serving clients directly, it still tends to be local and people, st- it's still a relational business. And most, how do they get clients that are remote in the first place? I don't know. That's good. All right. Well, this is what we're going to do here. I'm going to give you 90 seconds to give a closing thought. Give, you know, and you can stray off of this, but if you want something to tee you up, give something that, you know, an advisor can take and implement into their firm tomorrow after listening to this show and elevate their firm from where they were today. And then I'll give a closing thought and then we'll close out and get back to to changing lives like we do every day. Well, I think the one thing you can take into your firm and implement today, I'll give you two. I'll give you a twofer. Number one is start to journal, write, have strategy meetings and figure out where you're going to plant your flag about what you do and who you serve and start using the words that your clients use when they describe how awesome you are. Because uh, that's the whole point. I think most people in our industry don't plant their flags hard enough and try to serve everybody. Start the journey of figuring out who you serve and own it. Uh, and on the technology end, start to introduce your clients to virtual meetings. I would personally suggest using something like Zoom, which I use, which is a great platform. You get two big benefits. One is you can connect with them more frequently in a personal way. And two, the meetings get much more efficient because of all the logistics of having them come to the office or you going out there. And three, there's a lot of intelligence that you can gather from clients that you can't gather as easily in a meeting. As an example, when I'm sitting with a husband and wife on a video call and they're talking about their whatever, 
When one spouse is talking, I'm looking directly at the other spouse. And I can gain so much information as to whether they're incongruent with each other on their goals or decisions. And then you can tease that out if you realize that. It's harder to do that in a meeting. Yeah. Hopefully some of your clients aren't listening to this because now they're going to know that you're not looking at them when you're talking. Oh, I tell them I do it. I tell them I do it. Very good. All right. I love that. I think that that is is, is really valuable. I'm going to talk into the industry on my closing thought here. Uh, Strength in numbers. Our industry is quickly evolving and changing, but the core of our business, though, in my opinion, will stay the same as it is today into the future. That's the relationship. But anytime an industry changes, we are likely going to see some people that grab those changes and rock it higher and those that push them away and stall out. The, the great thing about our industry is that a recent shift to building independent firms via RIAs has led to an ability for firms to quickly innovate and evolve. But this also causes a challenge. Being independent means you may at times be on an island and you're likely competing to innovate against firms that can just throw money at innovation. Although being nimble and independent tends to lead to better outcomes, throwing money at problems can cause many people headaches. And so an industry that was once so tight-lipped on the way they do business and their differentiator, we must now as an industry open up and be different because the way our forces of independence will continue to compete and rise above the money being thrown to quote, innovate, is to band together share lessons, and learn from each other. There's plenty of business out there, and the root differentiator for a firm can't be replicated in conversations, podcasts, or videos. That's the relationships you build with clients. So as we continue to evolve as an industry, let's all do our part like we do on this podcast to continue to band together as independents. Let's continue to share, iterate, and evolve, and understand that there's plenty of business for all of us, and nobody can replicate your core differentiator. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciated that podcast. So thank you so much for joining us this, uh, this day here. Huzzah. Huzzah. I love how you end every email. And to everybody out there listening to Bridging the Gap, thank you for taking time to tune in. Hopefully you took one thing that you can use to bridge the gap between where you are today and where the innovation in the industry is going. And we'll be back with you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. They said your wish could get you.